0: The concept of FlightBridgeEd was sparked when a growing need and a dream united into an idea. That idea grew into a passion, and from passion came a global community of providers and students joining in the revolution of pre-hospital, critical care, and emergency medicine education. Now, from around the world, we are calling our community together. We are proud to announce the Flight Bridge Ed Air and Surface Transport Symposium in Nashville, Tennessee on March 20th and 21st, 2018. World class speakers, vendors, and of course the Flight Bridge Ed team will be there. Go to our website now to register. Join the revolution. The content of this podcast is based on medical fact and evidence based practice from credible authoritative sources, but is not a substitute for your institution's policies, procedures, common sense, or good judgment. The views and opinions are those of Eric Bauer and Flight Bridge Ed in their entirety. This is the Flight Bridge Ed Podcast critical care and emergency medicine education for nurses and paramedics. Here's your host.
1: Hey guys, Tyler here with the FlightBridge Ed podcast. What? Why are you hearing my name on the FlightBridge Ed podcast? That's because I killed Eric. No, I didn't kill Eric. That's not until the ventilator battle in a couple weeks at Fast18. But Eric's busy. He's out. He's traveling the world. He's doing a review course on Jupiter or Mars. And he asked me to do an episode. I saw this as an awesome opportunity, and that's what I'm going to do. So, I got a text message the other day from a good friend who said, what is a normal CVP? 2 to 6 or 0 to 5? Because every resource I look at says something different. And while... CVP is really falling out of favor. We're not seeing it used a whole lot to guide fluid responsiveness and therapy. It brings a cross-section of beliefs because if you believe that a CVP can be zero and be normal, you also believe that cardiac output can be normal at a CVP of zero, which would mean that preload can be normal at a central venous pressure of zero. To properly extrapolate the information that we're getting ready to talk about, you need to become familiar with two terms, the central venous compartment in the peripheral venous compartment now the central venous compartment is the vasculature that is contained within the thorax and thus it's going to be influenced by changes in thoracic pressure and is measured with a transduced invasive line that sits in the central venous circulation now the peripheral vascular compartment is basically everything outside of the thorax And the job is to get the blood to the thorax so we can get inside the right atrium and fall into the right ventricle and increase the preload of that contraction. This is also known as the mean systemic filling pressure. What's interesting is the mean systemic filling pressure isn't something that you can just directly measure. You kind of have to indirectly measure it. And there's a couple different theories on how you can do this. One is taking a patient that's on mechanical ventilation, slowly increasing the interthoracic pressure and plotting that against a CVP and cardiac output. Because once that interthoracic pressure increases to the point that the CVP is now higher or at the same level as the mean systemic filling pressure and cardiac output begins to decrease because at that point you lose that pressure gradient going from high to low and your cardiac output will begin to diminish. So now we can begin to appreciate why a CVP of zero could be completely normal. It is the free end of the hose. If you occlude the end of a hose, you do not have flow. If you increase the CVP, you increase the resistance at which the mean systemic failing pressure has to overcome to maintain forward flow. Now when you're measuring the CVP, it's obviously going to be influenced by the fluctuations in respiratory drive. For example, when somebody takes a breath in, in the spontaneously breathing patient, you're going to drop your intrathoracic pressure, and you could even see those CVPs get into a negative number. That's why when we measure that, we're measuring at the end of exhalation. That is when the intravascular compartment should be as close to atmospheric pressure as possible, which also happens to be zero. Now, obviously, in a mechanically ventilated patient, you wouldn't expect a value of zero as your CVP, and that's because even... Even if you had your PEEP set at zero, you still have the ET tube that's going to delay the exhalation and not really let them come to a zero atmospheric pressure point. But regardless, you will still measure that at the end of exhalation because that is when it will be closest to atmospheric pressure. So why can we not use CVP to measure volume responsiveness? Well, besides everything that we just said prior to this and all the things that influence it, The way I think of a CVP pressure volume relationship is the same way I think of a patient that is being mechanically ventilated in a pressure control mode. It is extremely reliant on compliance. If you have really good compliance, you can have really good volumes at low pressures. And if you have poor compliance, you can have really poor volumes at extremely high pressures. So it doesn't really tell you the pressure volume relationship just because you have really high pressures. Now, typically the right side of the heart is very compliant, but in patients with ARDS, patients in the ICU commonly have right ventricular heart defects, and that could be hypertrophy, that could be the core pulmonale, and with that present, that is going to throw off your CBP, and it's something that we should be aware of is that if we are looking at a CBP in a patient that has some injurious lung process, it could be skewed by the compliance of that right ventricle. And further analysis of this showed a study with healthy individual volunteers. And I'll throw this in the show notes. But what they did is they plotted the CVP against the right ventricular end diastolic volume. Took healthy individuals. They gave them a fluid bolus. They measured their CVP against the right ventricular and diastolic volume before and after this fluid bolus and the results were just peppered all over the place. There was no reliable patterns. There was nothing showing that if you had this number, you had this much volume available in that right ventricle, which again really drives home the point that we cannot use the central venous pressure to guide fluid therapy. Now, the surviving sepsis campaign suggested that we keep the CBP above 8. Let's talk about how crazy that is. What are the effects? What are the deleterious consequences of a high CBP? I'm just going to take a couple real quick. Alright, number uno, decreased microcirculatory flow. Now, as we know, the aorta turns into the arterioles, it gradually loses pressure and becomes capillaries. That microcirculatory flow is considered a low pressure system, which means that the flow is mostly regulated by the venous side of the equation. So if a CVP is elevated and the patient is still maintaining somewhat of a appropriate cardiac output, that means that the mean systemic filling pressure has to be even higher than what the cvp was otherwise like we said before you wouldn't have flow so it is postulated that the microflow is influenced more by venous congestion than mean arterial pressure all right so what does that mean break that down that means that the arterioles turning into the capillaries have a higher resistance at which they have to overcome because of venous congestion in order to perfuse the tissues Now, everything in the body has some sort of a counterbalance resistance. If you think about the coronary arteries, they have to overcome the left ventricular and diastolic pressure, the transmural wall pressure, the brain has to overcome the intracranial pressure. Everything is balanced by some opposing force. That is exactly the same with the microcirculation. If the venous side is really high, which we would have with a mean systemic filling pressure that is higher than a CVP of, say, 8, like suggested by the surviving sepsis campaign, then that means we would have increased venous congestion and impaired microcirculatory flow. All right, moving on to number two, which is increased capillary permeability. This is extremely interesting to me because as your CVP elevates, that means you have more tension within the walls of the ventricle. And as you expand the ventricles, you release nitritic peptides. And we know that because we see patients with CHF who have brain nitritic peptide levels through the roof. Now, as those peptides are released, they start to break down the glycocalyx of the endothelial walls, and I encourage you to go Google glycocalyx and see how important it is in regards to keeping fluid within the intravascular compartment. As you give more fluid, you break down more of that glycocalyx, which explains why after five liters of fluid, you've distended those ventricles enough, you've broken down those glycocalyx walls, and the patient ends up looking like the Michelin Man. All right, and last but not least, kidney injury. A high CVP pressure is transmitted backwards. It can actually cause venous congestion and the increase in the renal subcapsular pressure decreases the glomular filtration rate. So this can also create an increased resistance to the intrarenal collecting lymphatics and decrease your lymphatic flow, which is probably the last thing you want to do in a patient that is septic. Now to conclude this podcast, I just want to say that the information that we relay is not information that I studied in my basement on a cat learning how glycocalyx works. The information that we take and we extract is from large studies, the evidence body, and our job as podcasters is to take that and turn it into a digestible format that you can listen to and maybe learn something new on your way to work. We are cover bands for evidence-based medicine. The real heroes are the people that are dedicating years out of their life to these studies and how help us to constantly reevaluate the way we practice medicine. So can a CBP be zero and still have adequate cardiac output? Absolutely. Should a CBP be over eight, not in a spontaneously breathing patient? Are we going to really care when it comes to guiding fluid therapy? No way, Jose. All right. You guys have a fantastic week. Eric, thanks for letting me come on the Flight Bridge Ed Podcast. I'm excited to see everyone at Fast 18. And if you don't want to just mope around on your couch looking at tweets of everybody having a blast in Nashville, then you should probably just go buy a ticket. Alright, from Tyler and the rest of the foam frat crew and Flight Bridge Ed, we will see you in Nashville. This
0: has been a production of the Flight Bridge Ed Podcast, leading the way in pre-hospital critical care and emergency medicine education.